going to invite you to Romans chapter 8, to Romans chapter 8, and you say, that's not Hebrews. No, it's not, but I'll explain that in a second. Romans chapter 8, and uh, this morning as we are uh, continuing with a uh, in-between sermon between chapter 11 of Hebrews and chapter 12 of Hebrews, we will pick that up next week. Uh, I felt it best to give a little overview as uh, Brother John is going to be preaching, and, and he's been looking forward to this for a few months now, chapter 12, 1 and 2. The original plan was for me to preach chapter 12, verses 3 to 10, and then circle back to 1 and 2. And uh, being the type A guy I am, I just couldn't do that. So uh, we just decided that we're going to do a a sermon that makes uh, a transitionary sense between the chapters. Today's sermon title is called The Greatest Positive Negative. No, this is not a math session. So if you're here expecting some great mathematician to woo you with numbers and uh, formulas, I'm not that guy. But this morning, we will see through the scriptures what it reminds us of that we are now not condemned in Jesus Christ. And as we exit out of Hebrews 11, that great hall of faith with all these men and women, and Nelson preached a wonderful sermon last week. If you have not heard that, please go to our website, pick it up, whatever, about these people who had a checkered past, most of them, or a checkered faith within their faith, even though God forgave them and moved them forward. It's a reminder to all of us before we get to Hebrews 12 and this great cloud of witnesses that every person who's ever lived, who's ever been named God's people are summarized in the one verse we're going to look at today. And so it's important for us before Brother John comes next week to preach on this, that we hear and see what it is that we are in Christ, what we've been given in Christ, and what we are about for Christ. And so with that in mind, if you're able to stand this morning, we're in here, you're in, uh, excuse me, you're in Romans 8.1. We're actually going to backtrack for context, if you will, to chapter 7, verse 19. So we'll actually start reading in chapter 7 of Romans, verse 19, down to Romans 8, verse 1. And if you know, you know the history well enough, most of you, that uh, the Bible headings that you have are not inspired, but the Bible itself is. So if you have a, a flow in your Bible, some Bibles just take it as one big paragraph. Some of you have different breaks in the text, but suffice it to say, we'll start in verse 19. Hear God's word this morning. This is Paul writing. He's writing to the church at Rome. He's never visited, but he longs to. He's making the case that Jews and Gentiles should be on the same team for Christ because they're all on the same team outside of Christ. They're all sinners. They all need a Savior. And this is what he says, having uh, expanded on that for a few chapters. Verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. Sounds familiar to our lives, doesn't it? Now, if I do... If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, verse 23, but I see in my members another law raging war or waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And here's the verse we'll break up. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. Will you pray with me? And after we pray, I want to break this up for you. I pray this sermon is encouraging to you. I pray it challenges you. And I pray it reminds you of who you are in Jesus Christ, should you know our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can identify with Paul here. And Lord, there's great debate whether he was saved or unsaved when he wrote this. We will argue, Lord, that he was saved. And this is him just fighting the battle of a Christian, wanting to honor you, Lord, but at the same time being uh, 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 hamstrung or chained down, as it were, at times to the sin of the flesh and his natural desires. But Father, as we walk this life, as we don't always walk the straight and narrow, we thank you that we can look at verses like Romans 8.1, and in concert with what we've studied in Hebrews 11 the last several weeks, that all the men and women of faith had checkered pasts and things they wished they didn't do or hadn't done, that we're reminded it's not cheap grace, but there is an infinite grace that we can now say in unison, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, the condemning has been condemned because of the condemnation of Jesus Christ. And we are grateful. Father, thank you so much. We pray all this today. Give us wisdom, encourage us, and may our eyes look higher than our own sin problems in our own lives. In our minds, no one knows about. In our lives, everyone may know about. Whatever it is, we thank you that your grace covers us every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, many years ago, and uh, I just want to say as an aside before I start, uh, many of you did not know him, but if you're a regular church member around here, Leon, uh, uh, Leon Bagby passed away this last week. We had his funeral dinner, that's why the tables were set up, and we just kept him up for our dinner today. But we always joked uh, with Leon about his age, because he was as old as Methuselah. Well, the guy I'm about to tell you was about Leon's age, but not that old, but close enough, and uh, he would laugh if he were here. But several years ago, uh, Dr. Darnold, Donald Gary Barnhouse, this guy, was a Bible teacher for many years on the radio. Many of you probably listened to him or heard about him. He wrote a letter back in the day in the 60s to a group of 20 other Christian leaders and asked them this question. He said, if you were shipwrecked on a desert island, don't you love these questions? If you were shipwrecked on a desert island and you could take only one book of the Bible with you, what would it be and what would the chapter be? And out of the 20 Christian leaders, 18 of the 20 said Romans chapter 8 would be the Bible book and the chapter they would tear out if they were going to do it. And I want you to know that if, that, if you ask Pastor Nelson what his favorite chapter is, he would say, I'm that 19th person on that letter. Because Romans chapter 8 is that rich. Those leaders are not alone. It is regarded as one of the biggest, most eloquent, and most uh, just encouraging chapters out there. You start with the mountain peak, as some have called it, that there's no condemnation. And look down at verse 39, and you know these verses well. Look at Romans 8, 39. You start with no condemnation, and then you go down to verse 39, which tells you you are no longer separated. You have no condemnation, and then you go down where it says nothing, nor the height, nor death, or anything else in all the world will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we start with no condemnation, verse 1, and then in verse 39, there is no separation. And this is why, if you could have any book of the Bible, perhaps Romans, and any chapter, it would be chapter 8, because they're so encouraging. And I would agree with that assessment. I believe the book of Romans is the greatest book of the New Testament, if you can say that. Even outside of Hebrews, they're close. 
but I believe this is the greatest chapter in all the Bible if you had to pin me down. Isaiah 54, 17 reminds us in the Old Testament in partial fulfillment in this chapter that no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. There's no weapon. You see this a lot on Facebook. If you, if you see people retweet Bible quotes, this is very uh, uh, popular. But it's a reminder, if you are in Christ, you are as secure as Christ is to the Father. Let that sink in for just a second. If the Father is secure with Christ, and Christ is secure with the Spirit, and the Spirit is secure with the Father, that blessed Trinity, you are as secure as they are secure. And so with all the believers of Hebrews 11 and the, the, the chapter 12, the crowd of witnesses, we want to remind ourselves about this great truth this morning. It would be just for God to condemn us, but he found joy in allowing us once and for all to be forgiven, all because of Christ. If you were pulled over on the way out of here because you were going to go home and take a nap before some big event here in Kansas City tonight, and you were speeding on 435 and those and the lights came on, many of you, most of you would be red, your thermometer would go up, you'd be embarrassed. Am I going to be on TV? They have one of those body cameras, like am I going to say the wrong thing? You know, you would feel condemned by getting a simple ticket. How much more should we feel condemned for what we are about to read about ourselves? But I want you to remind you that no matter what feeling of condemnation you have this morning, those are the devil's lies coming at you because in Christ you are free if you are truly believing in him. How do I know this? Well, look at verse 31. These are four questions, three questions he gives us. Three gospelicious questions, if you want to use that phraseology. How do you know what this chapter is all about? Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who then can be against us? Verse 34. Who then shall bring a charge, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is to condemn? And then verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than what church? Conquerors through him who loved us. So here's the big idea today. The only God the only one God with the supreme right to condemn you doesn't. Does that not make your day? The best news ever. Who will condemn us? No one has. So Christian, you are never alone. You are never forgotten. You are never condemned. You are never unloved. You are never rejected. You are never without help. You are never without hope. You are never without anything. You are never left to battle alone. And that is what you have in Jesus Christ if you are part of his family. So this morning, four things, four aspects of what we are going to see. There is no condemnation. And I'm going to use two words today. And, and, and I want you to see these, condemnation and justification. We're going to roll them into one today. To not be condemned means you're justified, means you're set apart, legally righteous, clothed in the righteousness of God this morning. But that's what I want you to see. And this chapter is going to encourage you with those truths. This chapter speaks more of the Holy Spirit's work in that. It speaks more of our assurance in that, but most of all, it reminds us that there is a struggle in the Christian life. We just read about that. When there are times when I say, Lord, I want to work your will today. God, give me strength to do your will today. And then nine o'clock comes and you get mad. Lord, forgive me. 
And then you pray, Lord, help me with my critical spirit because I see something I want to say. And by 1030, you've already broken that promise too. And then you get to 130 and you start hearing that good old gossip, not gospel, music coming in your ears. Have you heard what that guy did? Oh, did you hear about Johnny? And by 130, you're already praying, Lord, forgive me for my gossip. The struggle is real, as my generation says. But the truth of Christ is greater still. That there is no condemnation. Even as Paul struggled through the Christian life, he was reminded of these things. Four things about your no condemnation, justification in Christ. The first is this, is that there is a need for justification. There is a need for justification. Now, it's not directly stated here, but if you look at the verse, it clearly tells you there's no condemnation. So that implies at some point there was a condemnation. Does that make sense? You see that there? There is no condemnation. But at some point, there needed to be a condemnation of us. Before our being in Christ, we were under the condemnation of God the Father. That is, we were born that way. We were born a sinner, but we also chose to be a sinner as well. You were not born with a clean slate. I'm sorry, public school system. You were not born as a product of your environment. To a degree, yes, but naturally, no. The Bible says it started at birth. That from our birth, we inherited what our forefathers gave us, and that is a bent to say, God, I don't want you, I want myself. And to be condemned is to be guilty under the law. And this is where our Lord Jesus Christ comes in. Maybe you're outside of Christ today. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're listening to this at some point. You need to know that you are not good enough to go to heaven. There's nothing you bring to the table. It is all Christ or is all nothing. And that is what we have here today. And you'll see this on the screen. It's in your notes. But God cannot let sin go unpunished. He is, as we sang, and thank you, Brother Brian, for bringing that to our attention. He is a holy God. He is what Isaiah saw in the year King Uzziah died. He is high and lifted up, and his train of the robe of his uh, train filled the temple. And because of that, Isaiah was undone, and all the angels around him were flying around, seeing what were they? Holy, holy, holy. And what he's saying here in Acts, uh, in Acts, excuse me, in Romans eight, is that there is a condemnation, and that outside of Jesus Christ, you are condemned. Christian, never forget that. For God to turn a blind eye to sin would be to deny his very nature. But God doesn't turn a blind eye. His eyes are wide and his face is resolute. It's focused in on the prize. And that prize is for you to be redeemed. And for you to be redeemed, you must face your sin. You must face the condemnation of your sin. Jesus didn't die for good people who needed a little injection of a spiritual boost. Like you, you might take one of those energy drinks to get you through the day. Jesus died for people who were spiritually dead in the grave, and there's nothing they could do to rectify that. It's not simply that sin stands condemned, but sinners. How do we know this? It's not simply that we deserve God's wrath, but sinners deserve God's wrath. Would you go back to Romans chapter 1? Hold your spot there. Romans chapter 1. You didn't know you were getting a, a, a theology of Romans today, did you, as you came? But Romans chapter 1 verse 18 Many of you know this verse well. You probably have, have read it or underlined it at some point. But Romans 1.18 says this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He didn't just say that Jesus died or is condemning sin, but 
that there are sinners who are unrighteous that are being condemned. Would you go to Romans chapter 3? You just got there. Go to Romans chapter 3 and go to verse 10, please. I just wanted you to see the level playing field here. Because before we can get the good news of who we are in Christ, we must once again remind ourselves of the bad news of where we are outside of Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 all the way down to 18 says this. There are none righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks after God. That's why calling yourself a seeker-sensitive church is actually an oxymoron in biblical definition, but I, I digress. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does God, not even one, does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of snakes is under their lips. Verse 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For it says in verse 23, all have sinned in what church? And fall short of the glory of God. The no fear there means is a summary statement that apart from God, there is no saving grace. The entire earth's population has been judged, tried, guilty, and found wanting. And most people think they are just good people. Most people think, and I shared this uh, in our class, and, and, and this happens every time when you get up at a funeral and uh, and, and, and sadly, I've done many funerals over my lives, and Willie, I know every pastor in the room can know this. Everyone has a, a, a sad but kind of happy smile for the deceased, but when you get up to share the gospel, the countenance of the face grows almost angry. It's weird. I wish, you had a, I wish we'd almost put a camera up here and we'd do a funeral here to watch the things. Because when you start preaching the gospel like we're doing the bad news, the Christians in the audience are doing this. They get it. And those who aren't Christians, usually in their own personal space bubble, I can't get an angry look. I'm trying to get an angry kid look on my face. But you know what I mean. They get mad because they don't want you to tell them that. But Paul assumes here in verse 1 that there is, there is a condemnation. And I want you to remind you today, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, young kids, old kids, middle-aged people, over-the-hill people, we need to be reminded of this because this is every one of our folks in our lives outside of Jesus Christ. They have no chance if it were not for Christ. So can I ask you this morning, if you were to pray today for the people in your life that don't know Jesus, how many of them would be saved if God answered that prayer today, if you prayed for them by name? How often do we forget to pray for people because we assume they're really not that bad? But the Bible assumes the worst. And it tells them the worst because God says, apart from him, there's no good in them. And if you're a Christian here today, you need to be reminded of that fact too. I do. That apart from Christ, we can do nothing, John 15. That's the first one. There's a need for justification, a need for condemnation. I want you to notice the second one here, though. Go back to chapter 8, if you will, 8 verse 1. There is now the nature of justification or the nature of condemnation. Notice what he says here. There is now no condemnation. Focus on the no condemnation. In other words, there's now an equal, there's no standing before the high court of heaven. There's no standing before the court of heaven unless you have been not condemned, unless you have been justified. We were once condemned and guilty, but now in Christ we stand free of all charges. In him, a new standing under the law. We've been declared righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. Notice that word there. There could be no more direct word. Guess what? In Spanish, you know what the word no means? 
No. Do you know what the word no means in most languages? No. Hey, you're smart. You you learned something today, right? He could have just used a simple no, but you notice that it's 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 said a little bit more here. Literally in the Greek, if you were to write it out, your your Bible supplies for you to translate to English your fra- that phrase there. There is the the literal Greek reading is just three words: no, therefore condemnation. No, therefore condemnation. And the word no is in the emphatic position. To get geeky with you for a second. He's basically emphasizing, doubly emphasizing, that there's no condemnation for you. If you didn't get here the first time, a little louder for the people in the back, if you're in Christ, you're no longer condemned. If you're in Christ, you are free from your sin, free from the judgment. And Paul wants you to know that. If you're in Christ, no matter your past, no matter your present, no matter what stupid thing you may do in the future, if you're truly in Christ, you are free from it all. Free especially from the courts, the high courts of heaven. Our perfect Savior has given his, his perfect righteousness. And we who are bankrupt spiritually have taken on his riches. Can you just enjoy that for a moment? Look, today, tonight, I'm not going to say their name because I don't need to. You may be disappointed by 9.30 tonight. This whole city may be in a somber state of affairs by 9.30 tonight. But Christian, you are not condemned in this world. Amen? They may win. They, the unspoken, may win. And they may go on to play in two weeks' time. And they may lose. Christian, your standing in Jesus Christ has not changed. Therefore, no condemnation. If they win, and they win, you are therefore no longer condemned. Just savor that for a moment. No matter what happens. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer in his tower in 1519 was pouring over the book of Romans and he got to what was then Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And if you remember Luther, he would spend hours a day literally beating himself, crawling up on his knees on stairs, kissing uh, uh, the, the holy relics, quote unquote, going to confessional where they had to tell him, Martin, go sin some more because we don't have time to take your confessions. Go away. He outconfessed the people who were able to listen to him. He was like cream of the crop, and finally he gets to verse 1. And the light came on, and it said, There's now no, for, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friend, I want you to know this morning that condemnation stands condemned by the finished work of Jesus. And when, when he got Martin Luther to those verses after hearing verses like Romans 4.3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4.5, and to one who does not work but believes in Jesus who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Luther realized that to stand justified simply means that you're no longer condemned. Can you imagine if you were standing trial about to go to your death and someone came to you and said, you're free to go? You know, it's often said that you can take it, you can go to a prison or a dungeon somewhere and shake some keys and all the prisoner's eyes go like this. Or it's like our cat at about 545 in the morning. (sighs) My daughter will tell you this too. Because she is about as predictable, our cat is, on our, our, our sleeping schedule. She gets all cuddly up to you and, oh, my goodness, I just love you so much. 
But if it's a one second past one o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, those claws come out. But every time you pet her and you put your hands behind your back, you know what that cat does? She tries to paw out your hands. She tries to get in there and get in there. Because she knows the only way she's going to get her food, just like that prisoner, the only way they're going to get out of jail, the eyes go up. And Christian, can I tell you that our eyes should look even more deeply and more focused on Jesus Christ, just as that silly cat and that silly jail illustration. Because now when we look at Christ, we don't just see a guy who died, but we see the God-man who freed us from all condemnation. He has thrown away the key because the door has been opened. There's no longer a need for it. And you need to know that in the finished work of Jesus, you have everything that you need forevermore. There is no better news than this. You are forgiven, you are pardoned, and he's always on time, and he always gives you exactly what you need. That ought to humble your soul today. Because you know tonight, there's going to be a lot of overgrown, overpaid, overweight men who are going to want to do this. But when you're a Christian, all you can do is this. Because of what he did. There's a need for justification. There's a nature of it. But I also want you to see the narrowness of it. Number three, the narrowness of justification. Where do we get that? There's now no condemnation, but who is it in? Is it in a denomination? Is it in a church? Is it in a pope or a priest or a pastor? No. It is in who, church? It is in Christ Jesus. And may we never forget that. The road to heaven is a narrow way. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. That's why we are so easily moved when, when we hear people who say, that, that you, you Christians are just so, so narrow-minded, and every one of us should say amen, because our Savior is narrow-minded. He was so narrow-minded that he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't do that with a big head or a pig head or a, 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 a jerk-like attitude. We do our evangelism with a narrow way, focus with love and grace and boldness. But when someone accuses you of having a narrow faith, you should praise God for that narrow faith. Because wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But you notice the, that he says here that it's for those in Christ. Everyone is either in sin or condemned or in Christ and forgiven. We must come to a point in our lives where we confess and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be like that, 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 that tax collector. You remember the story where Jesus was watching uh, or excuse me, he told the story about the tax collector and the publican and the uh, Pharisee. And the Pharisee came up and gave his gifts, and there were trumpets that played. Doo, 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 and, and he gave his gift, but the, the Pharisee walked away with all the applause, but the, the tax collector went up with his eyes down. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a what? A sinner. Because he knew that there's nothing he could do except that God would forgive him. But I want to remind you this morning, church, that John 6, 37, we studied this last couple weeks. Jesus said, I will no wise cast out those who come to me. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a narrow way, but he will never throw you out. He'll never kick you to the side. He'll never toss you in the garbage. He'll never say, you sinned so much, I can't take you back anymore. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus strengthens. Only Jesus satisfies, and only Jesus sustains you. 
we stand faultless. We stand not condemned. We stand completely forgiven in the one name that is given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12, the name of Christ. And listen, when you say the name Jesus, that brings up a lot of things. I've been asked to pray over the years at various public gatherings at times as a youth pastor, as a seminary student, as a pastor. And I can pray a prayer all day about God, thank you for being faithful. God, thank you for blessing us. God, thank you for giving us this day. But the moment you pray and you end that prayer in Jesus' name, like that cat at 6.01 a.m., the claws start coming out. Whoosh. Wait, you believe Jesus is the only way? Yes, I do. Because either you are in Jesus or you are not. We don't need to be offensive, guys. The cross is already offensive enough. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18. I want you to remind yourself of that. You stand faultless in Christ, but your faith is a narrow way. We do not preach every way to heaven. We do not say that, that someday that we're all going to stand around the mountain singing kumbaya with all the faiths that are here. Jesus transcends Islam, all these isms. Stand on that. Be prepared for pushback with that. But no, that is what the faithful men and women have always done, even to their death, as Pastor Nelson preached last week. You are not condemned, but you stand with the one the world condemned, and they are ready to take all the followers with them because they don't like it. But finally, I want you to see the now of justification. Yes, yes, that is another in, and it's there for alliteration and all the purposes, but I want you to catch this, the now of justification. Notice what it says here. It does not say, it does not say one day you won't be condemned. It does not say you will be not condemned, or when God gets around to getting to your case, hey, take a number, he'll get to you when he's ready. He says, right now, you are not condemned in God's sight. What is that now? Well, the word now here is a time where it is the moment you believe. Not when you speak in tongues to prove that you're a Christian. Not when you get baptized, though that is a command in obedience to Scripture. You're not not condemned when you decide to join a church. You're not not condemned when you invite five people and knock on so many doors so you can get to be one of the 144,000 chosen Jehovah's Witnesses. You are not condemned now. If every restaurant had that attitude, I would be there every time they opened their doors. Where's my food? I want it now. We love that word. We are an instant society. Well, guess what? The moment, the second, the nanosecond you believe on Jesus Christ, you are now not condemned. Aren't you grateful for that? That the day you believed, you are now no longer condemned in him. That means that it cannot be reversed. It cannot be canceled. It cannot be annulled. You don't, no one hits the unsubscribe button on the email to stop the spam messages from coming through. You are now not condemned. How do we know this? Go to Romans chapter 8. Will you go to verse 29 with me? What do we, where do we get this from? How do we know it's right now? Well, it's right now because in God's time, it happened way before all this even came to be. Now, I do not have time to unpack this. We preached on this several years ago, Romans 8, 29, the golden chain of salvation. But I want to remind you this morning about how we can say it is now we are not condemned. Here's what it says. 
Verse 29, Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also, oh, there's that word, he predestined. If Patsy were here, she would, she would say amen to that. Uh, in our classroom, when we talked about this in the uh, uh, summer with the Bible study stuff in Sunday school, Patsy every week brings up the word predestined. And so it always leads us to an interesting discussion. That's another topic for another time. But how did he know that in the moment you believed, you would not be condemned because he predestined you? In fact, look, this is not a word you need to be afraid of. This is simply an acknowledgement of God being in sovereign control of everything, including your salvation. He says, what was the purpose of this? So that in verse 29, to be conformed in the image of his son, to be sanctified, in other words, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then he kind of sums it up again, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Why does God not make you wait to be free from all your sin and not condemned anymore? Because from eternity past, before you were even here on this world, God set forth a plan to call you out from that condemnation state and bring you into Christ. Notice it does not say God looked down with his big telescope like some uh, uh, pirate sailor looking to see if there's land ho to see if you would believe. You didn't believe. I didn't believe. We were dead in our sin, but he saw us anyway, and he called us out for what purpose? Ephesians 1, Romans 9, because he loves us in love, he predestined us and made us adopt and adopted us as his sons. But I want you to know that even though you are now condemned, Satan would have everything to teach you that you are not. You remember in Job 1 and 2 what it said about Satan, that day and night he comes before God's throne to accuse you. Are you really sure you're a Christian? Do you, do you understand what you just did over there, Pastor? Do you understand what you did in the past? How can you say you are God's child? I want to remind you what Romans 8 1 says. You are now not condemned. And that now is forever, by the way. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, we have an advocate at the right hand of God the Father who continues to intercede for us, and his name is Jesus. What does all this mean? Amy, if you'll put up the last little bit here. Christian, this means you're eternally justified or not condemned in Christ alone. And on those days where you don't feel saved, your worst day, you are no more saved. On those days where you feel like a superhero Christian with a cape on. Because in Christ, no one can ever begin to find a crack or penetrate his legal defense for you. You are certain for heaven as though you have been there for 10,000 years. And yes, brother, we have 10,000 reasons, don't we? To share what God has done for us. The only way that God's sinful people have ever and will ever be justified is by God alone. But as a child of God, here's what is true. You were condemned. You are now forgiven. Rejoice and be glad. As I close, and Dave, I've talked to you about this before, that great preacher kind of juke move, isn't it? In conclusion, and 30 minutes later, right? That's how the preacher wraps up. But truly in conclusion. As we start Hebrews chapter 12 next week, I want you to remember that as John preaches, and I encourage you to be here. I'm still going to be here. I want to remind you, we, we give up the pulpit space sometimes. We have brothers who can preach here. It allows me to focus on extra projects through the week, and we have many that we're, we're working on the sides. And I will be preaching every week till Easter. So there you go. But after that, I want you to know this. As you enter Hebrews chapter 12, and he reads those verses that there is a great cloud of witnesses that are watching 
us run the race of faith here on this earth, however that may work, you need to know that every one of us stands not condemned because of what Christ did for us. And if you are here today and you are struggling whether you know for sure you are saved, how do you get saved? You believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in being saved, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I asked Brother Leon several weeks ago if I could share this, and he said yes. We talked many weeks before his death in his bedroom that he lived for many years, and he asked me once again, he said, Pastor, I already know what you're going to say, but I want to ask again, am I sure that I'm going to heaven? I'm not a miracle worker. I don't have a magic wand. I can't hit a buzzer and say, ding, 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 you're a Christian. And we just went through simple questions. Leon, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Have you truly repented of your sins and trusted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. And Leon, what evidence? Here's the legal side, right? What evidence do you have to show for that? And he said, Pastor, if God can change a guy like I was to be the guy that I am now by his grace, that ought to give me good confidence, shouldn't it? I said, Brother Leon, amen. Your life may be a, a royal mess, but God's in the, the business of taking messes and turning them the right way. If you're struggling in your faith right now, whether you believe you're in Christ or not, I'm not, I'm not selling you a package of easy believism. There is a narrow way, it's through Jesus. But you better know that don't let Satan get the upper hand of what God has already said about you. You are not condemned. You are loved. And Christian, God ha has you, will hold you, and forevermore you are his. And that's what you need to know today. Let's pray together, and we invite up for our last song today. Father, we are grateful that you, the one who should condemn us, doesn't. Not, Lord, that there's not sin to condemn, because as we have read and seen in this big overview of Romans to transition our Hebrews chapters, we know that we stand condemned. But now in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Even in those days like Paul, where we do the things we ought not to do, there is grace. And even on those days when we do the things we ought to do, there is grace for the attitude we hold that we finally figured out this Christian life. Father, we are weak and feeble people, and you're a great God of strength and vitality and, and so much grace for us. Father, I pray for a church that in times where sin runs amok, and that happens in every church at every time, no matter how long the pastor's been there, no matter how well the Bible's preached, there's always times when God's people get off. So I would pray for our church that we would continue to foster by your grace and spirit and strength a culture where sin is not safe, but sinners Father, I pray also for those today in our church that are struggling with whether or not they are saved. Father, it is evidenced by a life of godliness and submission to your will and taking up our cross, but it ultimately starts with belief. So, Father, for any of those today struggling, whether they know you, that you would remind them that you have given them the upper hand of no condemnation and that as they walk with you, they desire you, that is a sign that they indeed may know you. But Father, we thank you that you are known and knowable because of your son coming for us. Lord, this church knows this truth well. Thank you that it does. May we always live it well as we go out. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.
Martha, chosen one, free.